0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bolt with your host, Dr. Jeff Tilley. Today's topics, Ida post-mortem and fire continues to rear its head in California. Sit back and relax and enjoy today's Daily Bolt. So, yes, we took a break while Ida was coming along shore. Uh, practically every news outlet in the country was covering Ida one way or another. And ultimately, I didn't want to do overkill, but it does uh, beg whether or not there's a lot of coverage now, and there isn't, actually. The coverage on Ida has suddenly dropped off in terms of what I saw in the news outlets, at least the national ones. Uh, Today, it's definitely dropped dramatically down. Most of the online coverage has moved on to talking about Afghanistan and other things. Uh, Like masks. Uh, So now is a good time for a short post mortem on Hurricane Ida. And uh, there's a lot of slides on the PowerPoint that I show uh, today, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on most of them. I made a lot of them up for my own purposes for later research. after the fact, and I'll just touch on a few points here that are particularly interesting in looking at this hurricane in terms of a post-mortem. Moving right along, so as of 8 o'clock this morning, the position of Ida, and that's 8 o'clock uh, Pacific Time, so that would be 10 o'clock Central Time, It was about a hundred miles southwest of Nashville. Uh, still a tropical depression, although uh, looking at this particular geo color visible satellite image. I would be a little questionable as to whether you would really want to still call this any sort of tropical cyclone. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. Uh, Moving to the northeast about 15 miles per hour. Winds are uh, uh, up to 30 miles per hour. And it's really now a heavy rain producer for the Tennessee and Ohio Valleys, the central and southern Appalachians and the mid-Atlantic states, especially the mountain areas of southern Pennsylvania are expected to get potentially up to uh, six to eight inches at uh, probably the outside and a few local spots. Probably four to six is more general, what you would expect through the Appalachians and even most of Pennsylvania, but you never can rule out in an isolated thunderstorm getting more heavy rain, as we found out a little over a week ago with repeated thunderstorms over the uh, area of Middle Tennessee into which Ida's center is now moving. Uh, there is little change in strength expected the next 48 hours and I would not uh, be surprised about that because even though the National Hurricane Center is classifying Ida still as a tropical depression, this particular cloud structure looks uh, extremely, and I extremely, extremely much like uh, and a mid-latitude cyclone, a very typical mid-latitude cyclone that might otherwise be passing through the U.S. this time of year or later into the fall. You have a structure that looks an awful lot like a front rather than a feeder band. You have a structure here that resembles a comma cloud. This is this is like a almost a classical mid-latitude cyclone structure. And I would not call this a tropical depression anymore, even if there's a lot of convection near the center, because strong mid-latitude cyclones also have significant convection near their centers. And the sort of steady state on the winds also goes to uh, the effect that this system is undergoing extra tropical transition as we speak. And it may even be fairly far along the way, if not almost all the way, to now being an extra tropical cyclone as opposed to being a tropical cyclone. That's uh, maybe a point to quibble over, but nonetheless, uh, we're going to go ahead and go forward and talk a little bit about uh, some of the history of Ida. There's the rain forecast graphic. I'm going to leave it up for a second, let you look at it. See this area of four to six inches through northern, western Pennsylvania, north, north, eastern West Virginia, southwestern to northeastern Pennsylvania with areas where it could be uh, greater than that uh, by this time tomorrow. And actually, uh, not this time tomorrow, this time Thursday. It's Tuesday. So we're looking at the total rainfall through Thursday. That's a lot of rainfall. A lot of this area has had a lot of rain. Flooding concerns are definitely still in the offing as far as Ida goes. Moving right along to the chronology. Uh, We really just go back to last Thursday. This system has had a relatively short but very intense life cycle. Uh, About 8 a.m. Pacific time was when uh, the National Hurricane Center felt that there was enough circulation, Uh, that a tropical wave had developed into a tropical depression uh, southwest of Jamaica. Uh, The interesting thing about this is that the global forecast models had actually forecast this development several days previously. This has been a well-forecast tropical storm in many, many respects. Not all, but many. Uh, Sometimes the forecast models do exceptionally well with long-range tropical cyclone prediction. Um uh, we go very quickly uh, within about six hours to uh, the upgrade of Ida from a tropical depression in the morning to a tropical storm in the afternoon after a hurricane hunter aircraft indicated uh, that uh, the the strongest winds were up to about 40 miles per hour which certainly made it a tropical storm uh later that day uh Ida approaches uh the Cayman Islands and Grand Cayman specifically uh, and but uh, the forecast models shorter range and longer range were all predicting that it would strengthen uh, to hurricane force if not uh, a major hurricane and already hurricane watches were issued for the Louisiana coast and metro New Orleans. Of course given the short lifetime of this storm uh, that's actually very very appropriate. Okay. A couple of points on Friday, uh, August 27th, already by the morning of Friday, the 27th Pacific Time, uh, still a very early morning here, uh, uh, still morning uh, in the Caribbean, Hurricane Hunter aircraft again suggested that Ida had been strengthening steadily to a relatively strong tropical storm, 60 miles per hour, and picking up a little bit of speed as it moves towards the small Isle of Youth and western Cuba. Uh, Just five hours later Ida had had continued to strengthen and was confirmed as a category one hurricane with 75 mile an hour winds even as it is passing over the Isle of Youth. Uh, Another six hours. Uh, There is another landfall in southwest Cuba as an 80 mile per hour category one hurricane. Uh, In between these two time periods, roughly about 2 o'clock Pacific time, would have been 5 o'clock uh, Eastern time, uh, 4 o'clock Central time, uh, hurricane warnings had been issued for the Louisiana coast and metro New Orleans, again, based on not only the fact that forecast models had predicted rapid strengthening over the Gulf of Mexico, but that it was stronger than had been forecast in this port, this portion of its trajectory going over Cuba, and something that was confirmed because a few hours later uh, Ida exited Cuba and entered the Gulf of Mexico still really losing no strength. It remained an 80 mile per hour category one hurricane uh, emerging off of Cuba and that is a bit unusual. Interaction with land almost always weakens tropical cyclones but not this system, not significantly for a significant amount of time. There's also a slide in, in Uh, increase in speed, which became almost a steady state for the rest of the time that Ida was over water, roughly about 16 miles per hour. Uh, As we move on, Ida becomes a Category 2 hurricane uh, about 11 a.m. on Saturday, Pacific Daylight Time. That would be 2 2 p.m. in the afternoon uh, over the central Gulf of Mexico, The uh, best predictions we had from the forecast model suite predicted that it would make landfall in Louisiana by early Sunday evening. Uh, Ida continues to uh, churn along in Category 2 land, uh, strengthens a little bit, but then uh, the winds don't really increase for a number of hours. However, the central pressure does drop, and the wind radius, the radius of uh, being affected by both hurricane-force winds and tropical storm, force winds expands to cover a larger area, and this is the prelude to a very quick, uh, very rapid deepening phase that is uh, to occur next. So that was 8 p.m. Three hours later it had picked up uh, a, some intensity, was now a category three hurricane, and moving uh, just a, a, a close, closer and closer to the Louisiana coast. Uh, an additional 15-mile-per-hour intensification occurs within a one-hour period, and within another two hours, there's another 10-mile-per-hour intensification. So there has been, and with the additional intensification in the next uh, hour, between 2 and 3 a.m. Pacific time, which would be 4 and 5 a.m. Central time, uh, Ida has had a 30 mile per hour wind intensification within a four hour period. That is very rapid, Uh, and Ida is not done. It strengthens to 150 mile per hour as it's uh, just a couple of hours away from the mouth of the Mississippi River, Uh, and the landfall is predicted in early afternoon, west of the mouth of the Mississippi River, farther west along the Louisiana coast. The mouth of the Mississippi River kind of juts out a bit, into the Gulf of Mexico, and so there's still a significant amount of overwater trajectory that's in Ida's future. Moving along. Uh, Ida maintains its strength at 150 miles per hour from that 4 a.m. Pacific time all the way uh, uh, to 10 a.m. Pacific daylight time, uh, noon central daylight time, as it makes landfall near Port Fouchon, Louisiana. I'm assuming I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, it started to slow a little bit. It's still moving at a pretty good clip of about 13 miles per hour. It has been on a B-line northwest trajectory almost the entire way since southwest Cuba. No, almost most no change in the compass direction in terms of its heading for that entire period, which is also uh, somewhat remarkable uh ida then begins to move inland and only slowly loses strength uh we go on uh there is a second landfall near the uh uh, town of galliano louisiana there's only been a very slight drop in intensity so ida continues to be a category four and is pounding the coast The storm surge related to this has been impacting Metro New Orleans for at least five to six hours, possibly more. Uh, I'm not sure I have a good feeling at the moment for when the storm surge really started to impact Metro New Orleans at this point. That's something I'll look into. Uh, After this point, Ida slowly makes a turn, first to the north-northwest, then to the north, then to the northeast, and the decrease in intensity is very slow after landfall compared to uh, what often happens with hurricanes in which they can fall apart, well not fall apart, weaken is the better word, uh, very, very quickly after landfall. But one has to remember the terrain of southern Louisiana is relatively flat, and yes there are trees, there are things that increase the friction that the storm feels, um, although some of that, that has been destroyed in previous hurricanes, Nonetheless, there's still vegetation there, there's still land. Uh, It's holding together quite, quite well. Uh, Even six hours after this second landfall, and uh, longer than that, after the first landfall, uh, as it's passing 30 miles to the west of New Orleans, it is still a major hurricane. Category 3 with 115 miles per hour. And the eastern edge of the eyewall is within part of the metro area, which is why the damage from this storm may be as great as Katrina, maybe even greater. Even though uh, there was not the same catastrophic levee failures—at least not that I'm aware of—at this point, I think we would still be hearing about that on the news if that was the case. Uh, we go on through the day on Sunday. We go all the way basically to Sunday night. Uh, and early uh, 1 a.m. Central Time, Monday morning, August 30th, 11 p.m. Pacific Time, Ida is still a hurricane, and it is well inland. Uh, it is northeast of Baton Rouge, uh, moving more slowly now, about 9 miles per hour. Finally, yesterday morning, Ida starts to weaken significantly and much more rapidly, to a tropical storm, In the morning as it's entering southern Mississippi, uh, the hurricane warnings uh, for New Orleans are finally dropped. They've been up for several days uh, and replaced with a tropical storm warning, which is not going to hold for very long. Uh, All tropical storm warnings are ended uh, roughly about six hours later. Uh, Ida has weakened, again, rapidly now to a 40-mile-per-hour tropical storm. Virtually all the circulation is over land, and now we're seeing the real strong weakening, making a slow turn to the northeast, and continues through the day yesterday, uh, weakening to tropical depression strength in the afternoon, and holding to a tropical depression even officially until a few hours ago at least. Though, as I said, I would go back to that figure, I look at that structure, I don't see a tropical cyclone. I see a strong extra-tropical cyclone that has just made a transition. But that's my opinion, and you can decide to agree or disagree with it. In this case, I disagree with the National Hurricane Center. Now, I'm going to switch gears completely, altogether. This is still a pretty long podcast. There have been all summer many, many fires in the West. Uh, This is the second fire that is pretty much close to my backyard for where I'm living here in Carson City, Nevada, which is just off the uh, view of uh, this particular image here. Uh, Where we are looking at is the California-Nevada border area. The state line uh, for Nevada is right here. This is Lake Tahoe, the southern portion of Lake Tahoe. This is the... uh, eastern part of the Sierra Nevada, and we're looking here at the Calder Fire, which has been going on now for uh, a little over two weeks, just over two weeks, and uh, started way out here, much farther to the west. Uh, As you're going down, this is U.S. 50 that I'm tracing out with my cursor, and uh, the the California State capital of Sacramento is about another 30 miles or so, Uh, 35 miles perhaps to the west of where this figure ends up. This fire has basically spread predominantly to the north and then to the northeast Uh, throughout its lifetime. There was a substantial uh, increase in its southeast spread uh, within the past uh, four to five days, and it's continuing to spread to the southeast. But this is the portion of the fire that has uh, uh, been of greatest concern because the resort city of South Lake Tahoe, California sits right here. The fire is on its doorstep. You can see perhaps here there's a little uh, brownish strip. That is the South Lake Tahoe airport, so the fire is on its doorstep. There are houses and other dwellings that that this fire has roared through. In fact, this uh, fire has already believed to have destroyed at least 475 homes. Uh, Another hundred and twenty or so structures of various types, whether they be schools, stores, cabins, etc. And uh, the city of South Lake Tahoe, however, is the largest population center that this uh, fire has threatened with a permanent population of about 22,000. In the height of tourist seasons, uh, both in summer and winter, there can be up to 100,000 people. They're all gone. They've all been evacuated. As of yesterday, the entire city of South Lake Tahoe was evacuated. The neighboring area of State Line, Nevada, and areas in Douglas County are under evacuation warnings, but not orders. At least as of when I'm doing this uh, episode at 11:30 in the morning on Tuesday, August 31st, Uh, it's possible while I've been talking, evacuation orders have been issued. What you are looking at here are what are called thermal anomalies. This is what the red squares are all about. They show basically hot spots, areas that are substantially warmer than the surroundings, even if there's a lot of relatively warm smoke. Uh, In general, the fire itself tends to leave a thermal signature. And there are uh, two different sensors that are used to uh, get this imagery. One's called the VERS. I'm not going to go through the acronym. The other is called MODIS. The MODIS uh, sensors are older, they have coarser resolution, about one kilometer pixels, and that's primarily what you're seeing here. The VERS are uh, much higher resolution, about 375 meters, which helps firefighters who look at this and use this imagery, helps them pinpoint where they might need to focus additional efforts. There's two VERS overpasses per day, per region, so we see two two of those uh, each day. Uh, with these 375 meter pixels, uh, otherwise the 1 kilometer pixels, there are two overpasses of MODIS sensors, one from the so-called Terra satellite, the other from the so-called Aqua satellite. All of these are polar orbiters, which is why there's only limited overpasses and not continuous coverage. Uh, but we're going to be watching this, and uh, as one of my jobs actually has me Supposedly working in South Lake Tahoe, I'm not working today, obviously, since the city's been evacuated, and that's one reason why this uh, Daily Bolt is occurring in the middle of the day instead of at night. Uh, but we'll, I'll keep you posted on this, and we're hoping and praying for the fire to go predominantly to the east and southeast into an uninhabited area, uh, and a very and maybe all that would be uh, destroyed in its path would be uh, 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 forest service cabins. Uh, There's a ski resort here that could also bear the brunt of the uh, fire's advance, Uh, but for right now it is skirting the south of the city of South Lake Tahoe. The town of Myers has had some damage. Uh, That's located directly to the southwest uh, before you go up into the uh, mountain uh, mountain pass here itself, but we're hoping that the main city is largely spared. Uh, that's it for this edition of the Daily Bolt. Uh, it's been a long Daily Bolt, uh, but hopefully you found it interesting. Uh, I'm Dr. Jeff Tilley. I will be back with another episode tomorrow. Until then, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, and stay safe.